Bonzilla presents Planet of the Apes. Each week we rocket into the Planet of the Apes. This week is the Apes set time travel all the way back to the 1970s. It's 1971's Escape from the Planet of the Apes. everybody welcome once again to bondzilla presents i am nick i'm will and it's time for us to return to the planet of the apes but before it was the planet of the apes back when it was still the planet of the men and the women and the children before anakin skywalker slathered them all no i'm just kidding those were the sand people it's crazy that they get called sand people all the time it's, it yeah, feel, it, it feels like, like that not appropriate it, like, it feels like it feels like it feels like a slur <laughs> um it, well, it does yeah i mean yeah. they're called tuscans they're called yeah, the, tuscan raiders and then you just call them yeah. sand people well even like right well because but it's like that it, they're like tuscans and then people are like oh they raid people so they're evil like no they're just right. trying they're trying to make a living they're trying to survive off the land that's true at, at the same time they did steal Anakin Skywalker's mom and then torture her and tied her up to like a to you know, so you know. Yeah, that's I, fair enough. There, there's two sides to that story, right? Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's not. I'm sure not all the Tuscan Raiders agreed that, that to do that, right? You know, I'm sure I'm sure there's different sects as well. Um, you there know, were probably there were probably some in that village who were like, "This isn't right. This is not who we are." Yeah. <laughs> and those were the people that when they were getting all killed, they're like, see, didn't we tell you yeah. this is what was going to happen? It eventually caught up to us. I have to go back and watch that movie to see, like, how they say sand people. Like, if they say, like, you know, these fucking sand people over here, then then it's a slur. Yeah. Yeah. But if, it, if it's just like, oh, the sand people, then it's just kind of like, you know, maybe inappropriate. <laughs> but it, then it's common nomenclature at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we're not talking about st- stairwares today. We're talking about uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes uh, from 1971. Uh, the third film in our Planet of the Apes series. And uh, it basically comes to be because Beneath the Planet of the Apes was very successful. Obviously, we left off in our last movie with the Earth exploding. And it was very much a means of everybody being like, okay, well... Charlton Heston doesn't want to come back. You know, how much can we really else tell about the planet of the apes? You know, our, our writing um, of this movie, uh, Paul, uh, of that movie, Paul Den was just like, okay, how much more can you do in this future society? Like at some point it's got to come to an end. So the planet blew up and beneath the planet of the apes and in a lot of people's minds was like, okay, we made these two films. We told the story of the planet of the apes and the destruction of the earth. Things are good and uh, we can move on. But Fox was still eyeing those box office numbers for 
beneath the planet of the apes and it was still very much above their expectations and there was still ape fever uh in terms of people wanting to see the movie so as uh writer paul den uh tells the story about four months after the release of beneath the planet of the apes he received a telegram uh from producer arthur p jacobs which simply read apes exist sequel required uh, as Fox was very eager to 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 do more with the franchise, so obviously um, Den was very interested in getting paid to do another Planet of the Apes movie. He thought that, okay, yes, maybe we we've done everything we can with the actual future society, but maybe we can start kind of digging into our modern society a little bit more and, and talk about what's you know what can we talk about in terms of how we get to that point of the Planet of the Apes and what else can we kind of satirize in that sense. Uh, So he sets up the movie as a prequel and a sequel that it obviously takes place prior to all the events that we saw with uh, Taylor and the destruction of the earth in the, in the last two films, uh, but also directly continues uh, with characters from the previous two films. Uh, Most notably, of course, uh, Cornelius and Zira. Um, In terms of, uh, writing the actual plot of the movie um den talked to original planet of the apes uh novel writer pierre boulet once again to kind of get into ideas of what they could satirize what they could kind of take issue with um and, and sort of point out with the movie uh and, and den was very interested in talking about the um sort of the parallels between what zero does with her experiments on humans and how people we're viewing animals around this time. Uh, this was around the time that really animal uh, rights activists were starting to really pop up in terms of experimenting on animals and cosmetics and all that sort of stuff, an issue that would continue to grow throughout the next couple decades. So the film was kind of ahead of its time in that sense, uh, but also still kind of taking on general thoughts on, on nuclear war. There's a little bit of that in there um, and, and sort of the, uh, the man's own destruction talking about um and talking about government influence, again, we're kind of around the realm of the Nixon regime, all that sort of stuff, post-JFK sort of government. How, the, how are they forming? How are they intruding? Kind of that element of it. All, all three of those were very interesting ideas uh, to Den. But also Den was very interested in, in, in taking this more as a character piece, uh, because obviously Beneath the Planet of the Apes was very much pulpy sci-fi. It was very much absurd with the psychics and the nuclear bomb and the blowing up the planet and dealing with, you know, Charlton Heston, who didn't really want to be in the film and making a second Charlton Heston type character. Whereas Den felt that like, okay, taking these apes that are out of their own world now and back in this world of humans, taking Cornelius and Zira, who are characters we have followed since movie one, there could be a real deepening of their relationship together and their relationship to the world around them. Uh, so he was very interesting in kind of focusing the movie on that aspect as well, that the, the characters of Cornelius and Zira. Uh, and the last thing that kind of combines all this together is Den's interest in religious illusions throughout the film, um, especially considering his his concept of the film featuring the pregnancy of Zira and sort of leading into, again, we'll get into the movie, kind of the birth of what would become the rebellion of the apes and sort of that element of it. So uh, he peppers in a lot of sort of religious talk and ideals in this situation to kind of kind of bring that all to a head and the mixture of science and religion, um, which has kind of been a constant uh, throughout the Planet of the Apes series as well. So, of course, uh, in terms of casting, we have 
Uh, Roddy McDowell returning as Dr. Cornelius. Obviously, he was not available for the previous film, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He was directing a film over in Ireland. But again, he had told the producers, anytime you're making another one of these or anytime you need me, I'm very interested in doing more with the makeup and more with this world. And he was available again and they wanted to snatch him up because they thought that they thought it was a really great actor. He did really good stuff in the first movie with the ape makeup and especially with the expansion of the character of Cornelius and him becoming the lead of the movie that having an actor like McDowell there would be would be good because McDowell as an actor was someone who was always pretty much a supporting player. Like, you know, I, I kind of talk about a lot about how I love his Disney work, but pretty much in his Disney work in like the six or seven films he does for Disney, only one of them is he in the lead role. He's always kind of been the supporting character guy, the supporting cast guy, a character actor in that sense. And they were very eager to say like, this is a guy who's talented, who knows what he's doing. He knows what the eighth makeup um, and he, he, he could nail it. And if we can get him back, we want him back. So they were very eager. And Roddy of course, pulled went all into the role uh, was very eager to be back in the makeup and once again kind of wore it everywhere he could. Uh, he he just loved playing in this Apes universe and we'll, we'll get to see him more in that Apes universe as well over the films uh, coming up too. So he's, he's very much eager. Uh, we also get Kim Hunter back as Zira and again, the producers and Den were all very eager to be like, well, if we get Roddy McDowell back, I mean, we've had Kim Hunter for these two films. We might as well get her to a third. And if we remember back to Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Kim Hunter was not that excited about coming back because she was very uncomfortable with the ape makeup. And uh, she was very much like only doing the, the last movie because she was very much a small role in it. Um, so for this one, she did a lot of thinking on whether she wanted to come back, but it was a combination of the script as well as the promise of actually being the lead in the movie that, that made her to come back. She really enjoyed the script. She thought it was a really good story. She, she enjoyed the aspects it gave to her character. And she thought that the being the lead of the movie was a sacrifice enough to be like, okay, this probably will be my last one. I can handle one more movie in this makeup. Uh, and she said that even the process had gotten a lot easier um, over the course of the films that now that this team had been together for two films, the process was, you know, it used to take four hours. Now they could basically do it in two and a half to three hours. Uh, and they could they could basically do it very quickly. So even less time with her in the makeup chair. Um, and Roddy and Zira, uh, Roddy and, and Hunter did have a lot of influence over their performances and a lot of little references to them as performers uh, went into the movie. For example, um, Zira's character at one point tells them that she uh, tells the people that she hates bananas. That's actually from Kim Hunter actually hating bananas in real life. They thought that would be a little fun reference to kind of put in there and also worked for the spirit of what the scene was and the movie was. That's fun. Now there was one more ape that was intended to be in the movie for uh, a larger role. That was uh, Dr. Milo uh, played by uh, uh, legendary actor, Sal Monero. Originally Dr. Milo was really just a character that was there uh, to explain how they got, from the future to the past. Um, and there was a little bit more with the character in the movie. Uh, he dies early on, spoiler alert, and there was supposed to be a lot more with him. He was supposed to die later in the film. But um, uh, Sal Monero was hoping that this movie 
would kind of revitalize his career in a way that like it kind of did for for Roddy's who was on a downtrend at the time that the first apes movie like kind of the original ending of his of his Disney career was around that point um and like even Heston even though he was still a big star kind of gave him another high profile role uh so he thought hey this might be a good thing for me but he he couldn't handle the ape makeup uh Kim Hunter said that he he really struggled like mentally with being in the ape makeup. It was sort of a mental health issue for him. Uh, so he, even after shooting began, he talked to the producers of killing off his character earlier in the movie. And uh, Dan had kind of stated in, in later interviews that it actually kind of was a blessing on the movie because um, Milo was again, just there sort of for the exposition and that the fact that he was so easy to remove from other scenes in the movie kind of proved that maybe that character wasn't so necessary. Much of the rest of the movie, uh, to keep the budget down, it is lower on the the, the big stars. Um, the studio was very kind of pleased with the storyline in general because now that they only had, you know, really two apes for the entire movie, the makeup budget went significantly down. I, mean, I was actually about to make that joke. I was like, <laughs> but the the budget was like you know kept low, and that's why they were like, okay, let's definitely do this. So especially the rest of the actors. Very much like Brent in the last movie, we're very much all TV actors and TV uh, like stalwarts uh, that had not really been on film before. Um, we have our main antagonist of the movie, for example, Dr. Otto Haslin, who is played by Eric Braden. Um, Braden was very much the guy who like, hey, he's going to play a villain on uh, Hawaii Five O. He's going to play like a thing in the Virginian. Uh, stuff like that. Like he's a, he was a mission impossible bad guy of the week. So he was very much in that realm. Uh, and the name Haslin is actually very specific uh, and was a, a Paul Den sort of pulling out a very obscure line from the previous two films because um, Haslin is sort of named after uh, what, what shares the name with what Taylor and Brent call the Haslin time loop or the time curve, I should say, uh, which is what they use to kind of traverse through the cosmos and that theory that eventually lands them in the future. Uh, so the fact that, that, that Haslin has this time travel theory is not accidental. Uh, it is possible through Den's work that he actually was the kind of cause of all this, that he, his theories were what sent them into space and what sent them to this kind of this time loop as well. Uh, same thing for the man who plays the president, William Wyndham. He was, like again, on Star Trek, on a bunch of different TV shows. Uh, so that was kind of the main thing with a lot of the cast, including one Ricardo Maltaban, uh, another TV star of this era, who I was very happy. One of, one of those A moments for me watching the movie uh, to kind of see him in a, in a role like this. So um, then the rest of the movie, yes, we have kind of our, our main you know lead of the movie, um, Dr. Dixon, who's played by Bradford Dillman, just another kind of guy. Um, our other doctor, our other hero doctor, Stephanie Brown, is played by Natalie Trundy, who once again is the um, uh, the wife of producer Arthur P. Jacobs and had previously played the female psychic in the previous film. Uh, so she returns as a human role uh, in this film as well. So the, the low budget meant um, that, you know, they, they, they had a very short production window. It was about a six to seven week production window of actually shooting. 
Uh, but the other element of shooting the movie that made that very easier was the fact that the movie takes place during modern day in modern Los Angeles. So no need to kind of build the big Ape City sets or the underground sets of the last movie. Not much need for, you know, matte paintings or anything like that. The movie was essentially shot on location around Los Angeles uh, in various different places. Um, and uh, in that sense, it was it was a much easier shoot uh, than than previous ones and not being on the set all day, just having to pop around. Hey, we're going to go to the Natural History Museum. We're going to go to this hotel. We're going to go to these docks, you know, stuff like that. Uh, a few sets obviously were used in the movie, mostly for uh, interior stuff. Uh, but a lot of location shooting kind of helped keep the, the budget down in terms of not needing needing the sets built. Uh, but otherwise, it was very much, you know, beneath the Planet of the Apes came out in 1970. They were eager to get another one out. The quick production meant that they could get it out the very next year in 1971. So um, in terms of that, like a lot of the movie was just that, especially with the fact that, as we mentioned, only two of the actors for a majority of the movie are in their eight makeup. So that was very much, much easier of an element uh, of getting everybody to the movie. Um, even the director, I should mention, sorry, uh, Don Taylor, also a TV guy. Um, was very much a dude who had made his name doing like episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents uh, and a lot of the other sort of major kind of anthology shows of the day and had just transitioned. This was basically his transition uh, into film uh, production. Uh, and he would go on to do a couple of notable films in the later decades. He did the, the musical, uh, Tom, he did the Tom Sawyer film musical. He did another time travel movie in the 80s called The Final Countdown. Uh, but this was very much like one of his big, um, big but breaks into directing. Uh, he was a former actor that took into directing. And again, just to keep the budget down, no need for a big name director. We got Don Taylor here. And that was that was generally the bit of the movie. Um, not much, not much to this production other than the fact that it, it was a challenge a little bit to kind of go from, hey, we blew up the earth to what do we do next? Mm -hmm. uh, but then took the challenge in earnest and uh tried to kind of create a movie surrounding uh, the characters of Cornelius and Zira and, and something that he felt that those two actors would have a good time doing. Not much else to say on this one. It's just, that's, that's the production. That's the production of a uh, escape from the planet of the apes. Um, the one thing though, is that unlike the last movie, and we'll get to this, Den was very aware of the fact that now he might be contracted to do more of these and was also very conscious into actually leaving a lot of more loose threads throughout the film uh, that would allow him to pick up things uh, if he was chosen to do another Planet of the Apes movie. So that was also something very conscious is that unlike the previous two films, this film was very much written with the idea of, hey, we're in a franchise now in mind. Um, and that... The Planet of the Apes was going to be a big thing for Fox up until the end of the decade when they get Alien. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, I, I don't think there's any more. No, I there's no shouldn't more uh, pussyfooting around as they ah. say as they say in the Ed Biz. Um, I think we should just talk about what happens when you escape from the Planet of the Apes. Let's do it. All we want to find out is how apes rose. Well, it began uh, in our prehistory 
with the plague that fell upon dogs. And cats. Hundreds and thousands of them died. And hundreds and thousands of them had to be destroyed in order to prevent the uh, spread of infection. There were dog bonfires. Yes. And by the time the plague was contained, man was without pets. Of course, for man, this was intolerable. I mean, he uh, might kill his brother, but he could not kill his dog. So, humans took primitive apes as pets. Primitive and dumb, but still 20 times more intelligent than dogs or cats. Correct. They were quartered in cages, but they lived and moved freely in human homes. They became responsive to human speech and, in the course of less than two centuries, they progressed from performing mere tricks to performing services. Nothing more or less than a well-trained sheepdog could do. Could a sheepdog cook or clean the house or do the marketing for the groceries with a list from its mistress or wait on tables? Or, after three more centuries, turn the tables on their owners? How? Well, they, they became alert to the uh, concept of slavery. And as their numbers grew to uh, slavery's antidote, which, of course, is unity. Well, at first they began assembling in small groups. They learned the art of corporate and militant action. They learned to refuse. Oh, at first, uh, they just uh, grunted their refusal. But then, on an historic day, which is commemorated by my species and fully documented in the sacred scrolls, there came Aldo. He did not grunt. He articulated. He spoke a word which had been spoken to him all time without number by humans. He said, no. All right, Will. We've talked about they blew it up twice. Twice. We talked about it in different ways, but they blew it up. But now we're going back to a time where they didn't blow it up. Not just yet. We're going back to the 1970s. So, uh, the movie obviously releases 71. We're going back to 1973. So it's one of those great little movies. I love when movies do this where they're like, oh, we're going to go like two years into the future on this one just to be like, hey, it's not it's not now. Could happen to you in, in two years. Well, it's, it's kind of like how the MCU's timeline is now all fucked up because like everything because it- takes place now like in like 20, like 27. Yeah. Yeah, like something like that, because mm-hmm. like, you know, there was a five-year time jump. So technically, everything takes place five years uh, from now. Right, yeah. Or, 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 or centrally, like, you know, they can kind of maneuver that, but everything is taking place, like, between 2025 and 2027, stuff right, like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, we, we had a good time with the last one, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the lead on this one because I've already kind of let you know when I was, I was, like, halfway through the movie. I love this movie. I really, 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 really like this movie a lot. I like the the style. I like the tone. I like the kind of story they told. I like the focus on Cornelius and Zira. I, I really felt that this was sort of a, like a unique little bit of sequel um, in terms of all the franchises we've looked at. Obviously, we've had kind of up and downs in terms of what the, what the series are and what they tend to be. But I've, I've been finding what I've been really liking about this original Planet of the Apes series is just how unique it feels as a franchise. Like, this is a movie where we just had one with like psychics and a big nuclear bomb and, you know, gorillas fighting 
fake like tears of blood like in a planet blowing up and now we get to this movie that is sort of more of an exploration of this relationship we've kind of seen over the past two films these characters that we have grown to care about in a world that is not their own and kind of a nice little flip of the script and just sort of a lot of the dialogue and the discussions and the thematics of the movie i just really dug and i really thought that this was a really interesting for me an interesting watch i really enjoyed it yeah it's definitely a pivot isn't it like yeah <laughs> it's like from the last one I, and you know i i wanna i rented it i think i'm gonna watch it again this weekend because like i enjoyed it quite a bit and it, it definitely it, it just i i think the the pivot the 180 just threw me Mm-hmm. There was like a lot of, there's a lot that's different about it this time around. There's like a lot of like that initial Planet of the Apes mystique that admittedly is gone, but like you can tell that and I, and I kind of vaguely know that this is kind of part of like a little mini trilogy within like the series. Mm-hmm. Um and I know that it's it's going in that direction and it's going kind of more in the direction that we see like the the more modern movies. You could definitely tell that there's a lot of influence in some respects of like where the current Planet of the Apes trilogy that modern one does with like even just bits of this movie. And I think a lot of people compare sort of those movies to like the next one we're going to watch. Um, but I, I really thought that that was kind of an interesting sort of parallel in my head. That was like just some of the elements that we're going to see in 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 when we get to that trilogy later down the line you definitely kind of see the the seeds of it planted here in some respects yeah yeah so but so watching it it was just kind of interesting because it is so unlike just in feeling and tone than the last two um but it it manages to i remember growing up not necessarily with these movies but like kind of like seeing these movies in the background and there is like kind of like a very like uh like an eerie tone to them you know you know what i mean like it's just like just the juxtaposition of the apes in the real world and you know they're and they're not really flashy movies they're not very like big bombastic movies but like you know they still have like this kind of like neat little subtle but poignant sci-fi aspect to them and uh and i was getting that on the way toward the end of this movie but um yeah no i mean ultimately i really enjoyed it i I thought it was just kind of um just good yeah i thought it was good and but like i do want to watch it again because like the the 180 in terms of what these movies are going to be now did kind of throw me for a loop Mm -hmm. yeah and it definitely is even from the very beginning because well, there's another thing about the production that I thought would be better to talk about here, which is that the movie originally did open up and they shot a bit where they're on the spaceship prior to landing on, you know, Earth in the past, where kind of like, you know, kind of a little bit more explanation about Dr. Milo's deal and everything like that. They did shoot that scene, um, but the the VFX to do all the outside stuff would have been too expensive. So they kind of left that on the, on the cutting room floor. So the movie actually opens up and I, I really love this. It opens up sort of on the ocean with, with, the, with Taylor's spaceship sort of like floating there and kind of a little shot of the beach. And 
I loved how much this looked like the beach from the end of Planet yeah, of the Apes. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of the brilliant uh kind of staging of it, that it, shot. It, it, it's it, evoking the the year, right, the ending of Planet of the Apes. Right. And then like you're kind of getting that sense of like it's a spaceship and like where are we? And then we immediately cut to human military people. Well, yeah, um, like it's like that shot and then a helicopter like kind of Right. Like, yeah, comes in and we yeah. cut the human military people and they're like, "Hey, we got this spacecraft on the water and, and you know the whole thing and that people are rushing towards it and they know again and we get to know like hey people know that this spacecraft might have been you know george taylor's you know and they're this whole thing they've been missing for a couple years so there's this big deal everybody's there they get the thing back to the, they you know they pull it they get the back to the shore we get these three astronauts coming out in their full gear and I knew immediately I was going to like really like this movie when we get the big like the they they step out of the spaceship they're all in their gear and the military general's like welcome to United States of America and he pauses and then they all take off their helmets and they're all the apes and then the credits just start playing and it has like oh Roddy McDowell like and it show Cornelius right next to Roddy McDowell's credit and we just get this panicking of like the the generals and they're calling everybody I immediately knew what the music started playing. Like, oh, this is this is something interesting. This is something cool. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens along with this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a great opening. Um, not much more, I have to say. I mean, it, you know, it, it is interesting because it's like, you know, we are now going to do really Planet of the Humans now. Like, it's like, that, that's just mm -hmm. kind of, I mean, it, it's funny. It, it basically does tell you what the movie is and is going to be within, like, the opening scene. Yes. Especially yeah. familiar with, like, the last two films. Yeah, but it's just the echoing of the ending of Planet of the Apes there. I, I just, it makes it effective because right. it, it still tells you you're within this world. Now, Even it, it, it was interesting going into it that I actually did not know like some of the because i haven't seen these movies so right there there was a little bit like i was going into it kind of knowing that it was going to be like not necessarily like the plan of the apes it was going to be like you know just kind of like on regular earth but i didn't know if it was like kind of like a soft reboot situation if it's like kind of like all right like the the concept but like we're like ignoring the events of the previous films i didn't know that anybody was returning so like when they take off like the helmets and then you see the credits i was like okay all right so it is those characters and then later on they actually it is very much like a sequel to like those previous films yes yeah and that that just adds to the intrigue so eventually um obviously you know they're humans they see monkeys don't call them monkeys, though. That's going to be a big thing going forward. Uh, they see these apes and uh, they bring them to the Los Angeles Zoo. Uh, these mysterious ape creatures that, that landed out in the uh, in the in the ocean. Uh, and at first, they kind of made this decision to act silent in terms of uh, there's this kind of big debate over the course of this kind of early part of the movie that, you know, they're Dr. Milo. Again, who is this it is an extraneous character just there to be um mostly like the explanation of how they got here again the opening scene would have given a little more context that he was like a sort of another rogue chimp scientist who went off on his own to find the spaceship and like invited you know stuff like that which is funny because that's all stuff that is eventually made canon quote unquote in that star trek planet of the apes um comic that i mentioned in the last episode that dr milo actually plays a big role in kind of his his relationship with taylor's spaceship but he basically theorizes that they're on Earth of the past uh, when humans were the dominant species and they are in a world that they do not control. 
So it's best for them to keep silent. Um, and uh, we eventually get introduced to our main human hero of the movie. Again, Dr. Lewis Dixon and his uh, trusty uh, partner, Dr. Stephanie Brown, uh, who come in to do their general like, oh, we're 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 testing apes intelligence. We're going to make them pick blocks out and stuff like that. And it is interesting, too, because especially going off the past two movies, but especially the last movie in the way that that last movie and how uh, Dan as a writer portrays Zira as sort of, you know, a very passionate woman who is not afraid to speak her, uh, speak her mind in the society that doesn't really want her to speak her mind. Uh, we kind of saw that with their sort of reaction to the gorillas in the last movie and even her, her defending of Taylor in the first one. Uh, they just expand upon that in the sequence because it's Zira who has chosen to be um, the test subject, quote unquote, and she puts the blocks up and everything like that. They put blocks and they have her remember, hey, do you remember which ones? And she like puts them all back normally. She's asked to get the banana and she makes the perfect thing. And then the big reveal of the eight speaking is that Stephanie Brown's like, well, why does she grab the banana? She's like, well, I hate bananas. And she just can't help herself. She just has to be you know the she has to showcase herself and 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 speak the truth and that's her one of her old things in the movie is that there's a there's a that scientific element of her is just like i i seek the truth and i seek to speak the truth is is something that becomes a defining part of her character uh and and i feel like that's the first kind of hint too that we see like oh there's definitely more to cornelius and zero than even we sort of got in those previous two films mm-hmm yeah, yeah. No, no, I I, I agree. It's, it, it is interesting because, like, you're right, these two are now, like, you know, finally the leads. It, it is also interesting, like, how kind of prevalent these characters had become over the course of, like, these three films. And, you know, now that they're the leads, you kind of get to see them in a similar but new light. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what I really liked about these two characters. Because, again, even from the first movie, like, those two characters are a favorite right they 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 do stand out because they are a big part of taylor's journey uh but they do have that great relationship and that loving relationship and again roddy's a fantastic actor in the makeup and kim hunter has really you know embraced it as well even though she doesn't like the makeup she's embraced it in her own way and i think that them having this opportunity like we've gotten to know these characters so it's very easy for us to kind of just slip into seeing them continue to be these characters mm-hmm. um this is where we get the tragedy of Dr. Milo's death, his very quick death, where the arguing of the of the apes, uh, they have a neighboring gorilla who basically chokes out Dr. Milo because he feels that the uh, the apes are showing aggression. I got I got to tell you, though, one thing about this movie that's not it. It's the gorilla. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, that that gorilla looks bad. It's not it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like you know what it looks like it looks like that one gorilla suit from that spongebob episode yeah uh, it does um yeah no it's the fact that they just didn't get a real gorilla put a dude in a gorilla suit yeah it's just funny because like you know it, it, it's so weirdly like that's what you think that planet of the apes would look like without the budget yeah but like it, you you just have this amazing, which by the way, the the, the makeup and the acting through the makeup continues to be. Oh, especially with with Roddy as Cornelius, like he really gets a lot out of his mannerisms in that. But but Kim's really good in this movie too, especially like later in the movie when she's kind of having you know more of her 
issues with uh, Grape Juice Plus, which we'll get to. Um, they're, they're both very, very good. And the fact that they can just focus on those two is also very much a benefit that like they stand out. Um, but we, yeah, we get Dr. Milo's death scene after their argument about Zira talking and um, he gets choked out and we get this, this little, even like this scene actually was really one that I thought was really nice where um, like when they're witnessing Milo's death, like the, the anguish and fear on their face is very visible. Like they do this whole thing where Milo's getting choked out and then they just cut to like all the animals in the zoo reacting kind of one of those little things. And then it just cuts to them and just the anguish on their face. It's, it's palpable through the makeup. It's very touching and sad that they have to deal with this. And it, it's just a, another goes to showcase that these two know what they're doing in terms of performance. Uh, and they've been there now for three films and, Again, even Kim said that the makeup was easier to put on. It was more comfortable for her at that point, even though she still didn't really love it. You know, she was able to, they were both able to do great things with it. So basically now the, the word's out to the president and everybody that, hey, the, these apes are something something different. They came from space. They're apparently talking, you know, and, and that's little, this little scene too with the president where, you know, he's there. He, I like any of these scenes in any movie where the, like he, the, the president is bearing the lead. It's like, yes, you, it is true. These three astronauts came back in the spaceship and one of them died in the Los Angeles zoo. And, and, and everybody's like the zoo, why would astronauts be at the zoo? Because they're not astronauts. They're apes. They're apes. <laughs> well, and also because I, I did again, just sort of you know, the very distinctive, like this, where we get the set of like, Hey, Taylor, uh, this was the spaceship of, of Taylor. He's been missing for two years. So everybody's expecting the news like, is Taylor alive? But they find out these apes came back. There's a commission held um, with, the, uh, with, the, with the apes and uh, the doctor who has now become an ally of uh, Cornelius and Azira that he, this, this doctor, Dr. Dixon is basically like, we want to be friends. I have no ill will towards you guys um you know i'm i'm here to help and then they kind of are like you know we've always we, we we liked you from the moment we met you and they kind of had they formed this little relationship which i i like too i like the little sort of relationship the the the, the two of them have with with their with their doctor friends throughout the film and sort of that element of it and we get to the commission scene uh so the president puts together a commission of people from all walks of life there's like a priest there's like a, a scientist a military general um and dr otto uh, Haslin, who is the, the president's chief science officer, um, who, again, is our, our kind of main antagonist of the movie. And, and you get the sense of his character. His introduction is that they're walking to the commission. All the, all the media is trying to get about, like, what do you expect to see out of this? And he says fear and just walks into to the room. And uh, we get to this commission scene, which is the big introduction of the apes uh, to the wider world. And there's a lot of little great bits here. Um, in terms of like, you know, Dixon has told them that like, you got to be careful with your answers. You know, there's going to be simple questions, give them simple answers. What if they're not simple questions Then be yourselves best you can be. Um, there, there's this whole little thing where like, there's little bits too, where the, the one scientist is like, you know, Dixon is having a time of his life, basically being like, these aren't your normal apes. They can speak. They're very intelligent. And everybody's like, the scientist is laughing them off. Eventually, Zira calls him out on it. We get the great little bit where, you know, what's the female's name? Zira. And then, you know, like she's just parroting it. And then she's just kind of talking. And then they turn to the male and just like, 
Cornelius is like the male can you speak and he just stands up and he's just like only when my life lets me <laughs> uh, or the one she lets me and then uh, the whole room laughs and you can already see the fact that like hey they're already winning the side of the people but I also love the bit again the little bits of sort of the satire where like the they eventually kind of like yeah my, my loving husband or whatever and the priest just stands up and like objects to it right away it's like I, I object and everybody's like just sh- shut up dude like let's let them, let them talk and then the, the kind of gag is like the priest has all these like religious things but like he never really gets to have his say throughout the movie they always tell him they'll be like yeah, dude I, like just, just shut it i thought it was interesting how they kind of do weave that this story of like you know their acceptance into society and everything like you know they it, it's not quite as uh trite and cliche as you think it's going to be like you know it's kind of like you know you have your antagonists and the people who prod that story along but it it is kind of like uh like you know oh like you know cuz uh, other than being apes they're essentially just people yeah. so it's like you know that they kind of like assimilate like pretty uh seamlessly for a while right uh that uh, but Otto Dr. Haslin has one little suspicion when uh when Zira slips up during the during the uh the sort of commission meeting and starts saying she dissected humans, but eventually corrects himself and studied them instead. Um, but they basically kind of give, you know, not necessarily, they, they lie about knowing Taylor, but most of their dialogue is sort of like lying by omission, that they don't tell everybody about the destruction of the planet. They don't tell anybody like how they really got there. Uh, they do tell them they're from the future. They do tell them that in their time, humans are the dumb ones. Humans are the animals and apes are the intelligent species, which kind of shocks everybody. But eventually, yeah, uh, they're especially Roddy uses his his the charm that he has just as an actor, which is one of the things I've loved about all of Roddy's performances in one way or another. This just his charm always kind of shines through, um, whether he's playing a sleazy character, whether he's playing like a really nice character. Like his charm always shines through. And I think especially as Cornelius, you can tell it's a role he loves. Uh, because I think he really kind of showcases that in in this meeting where like you can really tell why the the crowd sort of gives them a standing ovation at the end that 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 this kind of loving couple of apes like have just kind of become like this kind of it, it's an interesting kind of balance because I think they have won them over as like oh these are kind of intelligent creatures but they still sort of like especially in the later scenes when they're kind of these celebrities amongst Los Angeles there is also a sense that they do kind of play this card well of like, well, they are sort of a, an oddity. And that's kind of almost as why as well there. Um, it is very much like the, and the stuff with the circus kind of is apt. It is like kind of a circus performance where it's just like the people are watching like, Oh, look, the apes are, they're like humans. It's so cool. Let's hang out with them. And eventually whenever it all goes South, you could also imagine that, Hey, they were kind of the flavor of the month. And, the next weird thing is going to be the new fad going forward. So it it plays that balance throughout the film. I think very well, where it's like, even at the beginning, it was just like, even when they're having this party, it's more so like, Oh, zero is kind of enjoying champagne later. And it's, they're all like kind of laughing when she's like, I like grape. (laughs) Yeah. It's just amusing to everybody. They like playing dress up and everything. So there's kind of that enjoyment, but the, the, the film does a really good job at this commission meeting of kind of setting up, sort of the, the Cornelius and Zira's relationship to the world and relationship to, to Dr. Haslin as well. Especially because not too long after this scene, we get one of my favorite scenes in the film, which is this long discussion between Haslin and the president, um, where 
I, I really dig how this president is kind of treating the situation. Essentially, just like, you know, eventually, like, well, it's a little bit later when when Zira gets drunk and reveals that, yeah, the planet blew up and that they are, you know, more specific years of the future. But I, I guess I'll get to it now because I skipped ahead to it. But I really like that the president was just like, yeah, aren't you concerned that the, the Earth's going to blow up in like 2000 years? He's like, well, it's, I'm not going to be elected then. We don't have to worry about a reelection over then. But, the, <laughs> uh, but, but he's he, essentially his attitude. So it's just like, well, we all knew this was like a possibility where we, we weren't pretending that like the, the humans are on a self-destructive path and hey, if the ape society is any better than this, maybe we deserve to go out. Like He's very much casual about the whole thing and treating them like human beings, essentially, right? That he's treating them as individuals that right now pose no danger. And he's open to the idea that they may pose a danger if Haslin could come up with the proof. But right now, Haslin is proving, is, is spouting nonsense about it, right? He's just spouting basically like, yeah, no, they're going to cause the destruction of the earth. Well, you don't know that. Right. <laughs> I, I just like the attitude and then, there's a whole little bit where, again, the religious elements where, like, he's talking about, like, Herod trying to kill Jesus and the massacre of the innocents. And then, like, this little bit, too, with the president where is like, and that made him unpopular, very unpopular, historically unpopular. And we have an election coming up. But, like, he's kind of, but he's, like, he's literally between, like, yes, I, I understand that I, I, I have a duty as a human being to, like, hear these people out, hear these apes out. They're they just seem like very nice people. The world thinks they're very nice people. But, you know, I got to do what's best for this country and for this planet. If you can really prove to me that they are going to prove to danger to us anytime soon, then by all means, we'll, we'll figure that out. But I just really love that discussion between the two of them and sort of the philosophical nature of Haslin's view, because we also get a television interview with Haslin, who very much is a distinctly like time is branches right he's very much in the in the mcu school time can be branches and one car is going to crash on the highway the other car is going to keep going straight down the timeline and he feels that it's his duty to if he can prevent that future from occurring um and uh i i just i just really like that discussion and i know i got a little ahead of it because there's a little bit more stuff with the apes but I, I really that was a scene that really stood out to me uh, as I was watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because to finally have like it, the, the Planet of the Apes franchise. It's funny because that is like the major twist of the first one. Like it's like, you know, the the uh, um, what the fate of humanity was. Yeah. Like that. That was like the big reveal. So it is funny, like how. And I think that the sequel kind of like more directly and traditionally kind of dealt with it by like talking about like this is like the next step of evolution. So with like the, you know, the underground psychics and the bomb and whatnot, whereas like this time around, it just kind of is like it like hovers over everything, but in an interesting, non-intrusive way. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent. I agree. And, I, and it's just like those, those thematics really stick out to me. Um, but before we get to that point, there is a, a little montage, right, where the where the apes are originally being held at the zoo. But as they get more out there in the world, uh, they eventually are moved to a hotel and they get to go to nice parties. They get to play dress up. Um, you know, Zira is invited to like the women's luncheon where she gets to be a, a, like a feminist and like a, a stand among the other women. And it, it's just sort of that weird little thing where it's like even in that ape future, right, that there is still an issue 
with like it's a male dominated society and and Zira Zira's character has been and it's an interesting sort of arc of it is really sort of coming into her own in terms of being that sort of voice for not just the chimps but for for women in her society because even in that first apes movie right like she's very much like the beginning of that movie she's very much like hey like she gets the subjects they kind of like the other men like the other men just sort of like are amused by her experiments but just like let her kind of do her thing let the chimps do her thing and then over the course of that movie she becomes more defensive of taylor and his sort of story and the elements of of what cornelius is doing and now we get to a scene in this movie where she gets to be sort of amongst women like-minded women who you know treat her as a woman in that sense and i think that was an an interesting scene to see um also them sort of getting their human clothing right and sort of their loving reactions to each other when 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 cornelius is in the suit and he's getting measured and all that sort of stuff and she gets to go shopping and they're they really showcase the love that they have as a couple, which I think is, is also really nice. Also, what made me really laugh was the fact, like eventually, like at first, like again, TV is kind of a novelty to them when they're watching the, uh, uh, the, the Haslam interview where he talks about his view on time travel with the painting and everything like that. Um, which again, very nice painting of the painter painting himself a million times over a good, good way to, to tell. I, I also love that going back to that, that like it was supposed to be like, Haslin was asked, like, tell it in simple terms to us as the viewer. And then, like, as Haslin's going on about this painting thing, and it's just like it's the painter painting himself infinitely in infinite worlds or whatever and in infinite timelines. Uh-huh. The, the, the newscaster's just like, what the hell? Like, what are you talking about? But he's still being like, newscaster mode, like, uh huh, sure. Yeah. And what do you think about? Do you think that these apes are doing this time travel thing? Um, but later, so like, when we get to that scene, right, there's uh, this novelty of like, oh, we have television, you're watching it to the fact where. The newscaster says goodnight and then Zira says goodnight back because she just doesn't know what to do. But later we get this scene where um, Cornelius is watching the news and he's sort of talking about like, oh, the apes have been moved here and tomorrow she's going to go to the Natural History Museum and he's going to go to a prize fight. And then he's going to I laughed at this because, you know, me, I was like. And then he's also going to go to the Disneyland where he's going to dedicate a new boat to the Jungle Cruise. And I was like, (laughs) I love movies. I love non-Disney movies that reference Disneyland. That's like a little trick for me. Uh-huh. Like um, uh, what Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 2 when Rodan's flying over Tokyo yep. Disneyland for no reason. All, the, all that stuff loves I love. But I love too that like then all of a sudden again, even in this world, Cornelius is just like, okay, now television's just become the mundane thing because they start talking about the weather tomorrow. And he just shuts off that he's like, all right, time to, time to turn off the TV. Checks on his wife in the bath who, who's like, I guess apes don't take baths. They just had that sauna because she's like, how's, 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 how's that? She's in the bath. She's like soothing, very wet though. And he's like, all right, sounds good. And then the next day he goes, Cornelius goes to a boxing match and everybody's like cheering, like, like watching the fight. And he's just just like, man, this is brutish. This is very weird. And everybody laughs at him. But the next big reveal and sort of really the big crux of what the rest of this movie kind of is going to be about is at the Natural History Museum, uh, Zira faints as she looks at like a, a gorilla mannequin. And then they all thought like, oh, it's just from the shock of seeing the gorilla, like what's going on? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm pregnant. And the reveal that she is pregnant with Cornelius's child, which spooks Dr. Haslin even more than he already is. 
he takes her back to the hotel. He secretly records her. Uh, we also know that Zira is very quickly becoming an alcoholic because she very much enjoys champagne, which she affectionately calls Grape Juice Plus. And uh, Otto essentially gets her drunk and has her talk a little bit more about what happened with the war that they mentioned between uh, the gorillas and whatever enemies they had, all that sort of stuff. She kind of reveals the planet kind of blew up and there was like a time tornado that they went into, the big reveal of the year, you know, like, hey, we landed 1973. I, 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 do, I do love what you just said, time tornado. Well, she says it's like, Oh, the planet blew up and there was a big tornado. And she was, we went into the tornado and then we landed here. Like, she was basically like, that's what she described. It sounds like a move in like an anime or like a Kingdom Hearts game. Like, time you know, tornado. Say, yeah, it's like, time tornado. <laughs> and then everybody would be like, oh my God, the time tornado move. I had it until it's like that, you know, that time. And then it's like a meme that we get it on t shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, then the voice actor has to say it at a convention. Hey, say time tornado. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they hate it for a while, but then they like it again because but then they, they embrace it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Then they embrace it a little bit. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. It's like Sam Witwer saying Kenobi. Like, yes, <laughs> that's what it would be like. This made up anime <laughs> character we just created through just now. Uh, but yeah, anyway. Continue. Anyway, yeah. So, so, and, and this is where we get the scene with the president. I kind of jumped ahead to earlier where, you know, it's Haslin's kind of very concerned with the fact that, like, hey, she's, you know, they're, they're withholding information, you know, um, all that sort of stuff. And so, uh, yeah. And this is where kind of the, the rest of the crux of the movie happens, where it's, it's now Haslin's duty to prove that these apes are actually a danger to, to human society and must be, must be dealt with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So from there, uh, essentially, the, 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 this is where, again, the downfall of their, their celebrity lives go because the commission now has proof that they've been withholding information. So they kind of take them to uh, a military camp to be, quote unquote, properly interrogated. Um, and uh, this is where we get a, a little bit more of the new lore uh, of the Planet of the Apes franchise. Um, which is sort of Cornelius's history, knowledge of history and the explanation of what actually happened between the humans and the apes. Um, which uh, is, is stuff that we're, I know we're going to deal with, you know, going forward, obviously we kind of talked to you talked about, there's a little mini trilogy going on here. Uh, but again, this is another great scene where Roddy's just knack for performance really shines through um, because he's essentially talking about that, like, he knows what the sacred scroll says. And there's a sort of implication. I, I kind of feel reading the movie that like the, these may have been just stories, but like, he's kind of realizing these are kind of more the truths of what happened as opposed to kind of like more like Bible stories type of thing. And he's kind of going through sort of this history of the relationship between humans and apes, um, which begins, which will begin in a couple of years when a, a, a giant plague takes out all the dogs and cats on the planet. Which leads to one of my favorite lines of the movie and a, a purely on Roddy's performance, but also of like kind of the implication of it. It, it speaks a lot of volumes because I feel this is also very true because they're, they're talking about how the scrolls talk about how all the cats and dogs got this mysterious plague and they had this sort of basically make sure all the cats and dogs went extinct 
to ensure that it didn't start spreading to other um, species. And in terms of talking about that, you know, he, he Roddy says there's like the line something like, "Because man can kill his fellow man, but he cannot kill his dog." And I just thought that it was a very interesting way of putting that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a sense of just like they they have no issues going to war and killing each other and, and murdering themselves in the streets. But like the saddest thing in the world is like you take away their pet. And that's that's more of a tragedy to them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was just it really spoke a lot to me in terms of how this story unfolds. It really it really said just and again, it was just the way that he said it too. the way that Roddy kind of took the line where it, it was almost a realization of himself versus like, but he cannot kill his dog. And then they took they took chimps as uh, pets, and from there, eventually, and again, just the speech was really great because again, another good line was just like, eventually they learned the the, the apes learned about slavery, and they gave themselves the antidote to slavery, which is union, and they decided to start banding together, and I I I just thought that Roddy nailed that performance and and really sort of sold it, even if it. There are slight contradictions to what we know, not generally like all contradictions, right? That the nukes could have still blown up the planet, especially later. Um, and, and it kind of gives us a little bit more into, again, the realm of what we will get into with the modern apes movies and kind of what their sort of view on that relationship going to, too. And eventually, like the nukes will come just probably as a last bit desperation effort, but sort of this relationship and, and humanity's inability the care and its penchant for war and slavery is what does it in at the end of the day. You know, it's also interesting because that first movie, really the only implication that they have to the nukes is him saying they blew it up. Right. And then the sequel kind of expands on that a little bit. But other than that, like, you know, there really isn't, I mean, it could be a myriad of factors. It's not just like, you know, like, a bomb went off and then like it ended society. I think right. I think it's just kind of the general kind of like, you know, it, it, the fall of humanity. Yeah. Oh, that, oh. that is kind of why it's like, it, it is interesting how the new movies kind of uh, go about doing it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, and, and we'll get to those, but yeah, just another great performance, but by Roddy. And it's just one of those things that really stuck with me. It's like this, that interrogation scene where he's going through that history uh, just really well written in terms of, again, sort of the point it was making and sort of the points that Roddy was able to make and, and Cornelius was able to make through the thematics of that moment. I thought were were, were so solid and, and just really just again, just really, really drew me into the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and also but eventually the real kicker for them in this they try their best to kind of keep it, but but Zero gets truth serumed. Um, and again, just a, the little bits of this relationship between Zero Cornelius and Dr. Dixon, where, you know, Dixon is sort of like his hand is forced. Like he, he has to comply or else he's going to be like, you know, an enemy of the state as well. You know, he wants to do it safely for Zero. So he gives him the truth serum. And uh, he basically explains it's going to have the same effect as the grape juice plus. And there's a little bit of a nice moment where he's like, this sucks, but don't worry. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt your baby. It's it's it, it's going to be okay. But this truth serum basically is Zira basically kind of going all in on saying like, yes, the, the gorilla is hunted for sport. I did experiments on both dead and live humans. And 
uh, we wanted to check our our shared anatomy and everything like that. And we love Taylor. Like they they kind of revealed that they knew Taylor when they said they didn't. And this is basically what puts the nail in the coffin for them in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, the bench, the jig is up here. Haslin gets his wish partly because he would rather have it that they are, they're all killed. But the president and his commission basically decide. And again, I really like how they were kind of worded the president's stuff here where he's like, yes, what they decide to do to us in the future, if we did it to us now would be inhumane. But to be fair, we're doing it to them now. So that's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. However, they do pose a threat. So the final hearing of the council, and again, there's a nice little bit where, again, the um, the priest tries to speak up about all, all his objections to like this and under the name of God. And like the main dude's like, guy, just we, we, we've already decided on this. Just just calm, calm down, calm down. But the eventual decision comes down that the baby will be aborted. And um, the parents will be allowed to live out their lives, but will be sterilized and unable to have further children. It's like, this really took a turn. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and, and, and Haslin is still fuming because he wants them all dead. He doesn't want any risk of the apes causing the downfall of society. And meanwhile, Cornelius is pissed that they're treating his wife this way and they're inhumane. And then Nazira is like, dude, like we've done the same thing to them. It, it's, it is what it is at this point. And she's like, you know what? Again, I like having the truth out. I don't like lying. I, I like being able to kind of say what I need to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where it really the shit hits really hits the fan because earlier in the interrogation scene, we discovered that um, in the ape society, monkey is essentially a slur. It's essentially like, don't call me a monkey. I am an ape. I am a chimpanzee. And well, technically, that is factually correct. I mean, you know, they are yeah. apes. They are, they're not monkeys. Right. Monkeys have tails. Yes. Uh, so the orderly that's kind of delivering them their food, it's like, oh, I'll drink up your plenty of orange juice from the nice little monkey in there. And Cornelius basically like bashes him in the face. And like, they're like, okay, we want to get out of here. And it, it, we kind of pan over to discover that like Cornelius thinks that he just knocked the guy out, but he fell the wrong way and he, he died. He basically like hit his head, his head cracked open and he's dead. And so now there's a, again, little fun little bits here where they're trying to escape. I love the little bit where they're like, they're kind of like, Hey, they escaped. They're running away. They're trying to get out of the gate. And then like Cornelius like sneaks into the little security booth where the security guards on the phone. Mm-hmm. And he's basically like, um, you know, he, he puts up the thing. And like the security card has said goodnight to like his buddy earlier or something like that. And then he puts up the gate and Cornelius just looks and he's like, goodnight, Stan. And the guy's like, I told you, goodnight. Like he just doesn't turn around. Little great little bits. Again, Roddy nails it. Um, but Roddy is starting to have regrets about, well, I, I only I, I lost my temper. Maybe we can go back and we can figure something out. Like I, I can apologize. And Zero reveals that essentially the baby's coming. The baby's coming right now. And uh, they got to they got they got to she's got to go into labor. Um, The word gets back that the orderly was killed. And so there's a manhunt for them. Um, And again, even even in all this, the president, when we get to his scene with this, is just like, I'm not whatever happened to like, you know, do justice and like, you know, 
we, we got to get their side of the story. We don't know what happened. These are just two regular people. There's no reason to go on a manhunt for them. They didn't, he didn't, the apes didn't shoot the guy. So we're not going to shoot them back. I want them alive. And I just love, I just love the character of this president. I love that, how he took this situation, even as Otto was trying to kind of really showcase, like, this is something I want. The president never backed down. Eventually Otto gets what he wants, but because he kind of acts on his own volition. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's more stuff here. I loved a little bit too, where Stephanie Brown shows up. This, this little bit made me laugh out loud too, where she's like, like, I think she reveals, I forget exactly how it goes down, but like he, you know, Cornelius is like, I didn't mean to kill the guy. He was just like insulting me. I, I knocked him out. And she's like, I believe you like, where's Zira. And she's like, Oh, like we, we have to, Zira's going into labor and just Stephanie's like, Oh boy, <laughs> get in. It just like gets in again, the little fun relationship stuff with that. So it's all really nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Good stuff. I mean, yeah. really, re- I mean, for me, like, and then it just like starts kicking into like another gear towards the ending. Like, you know, that that's kind of like the next big highlight for me. Yeah. Cause there's another bit I, it's around this part. No, no. Well, it's, it's a little bit later. Uh, Cause eventually the deal is, they bring Zira to a local circus with one Ricardo Maltaban mm-hmm. who is yeah. in top Ricardo Maltaban form yeah. here. Maltaban in it up. Yeah. He, he's very passionate about the, the apes plight. He he's very like upset that they're being kind of like chased and, and like, he kind of understands them. He he's just, he's a loving man. <laughs> I like, I kind of liked his character too. He's so very proud of his circus. There's this whole bit where like, when they go in and Zira's get have given birth and there's like another like chimp and her child there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that is the first chimp that has ever been born at a circus. And then Dr. Dixon's like, well, we had three born at the, in we, there's three in Los Angeles, like at a circus. No, at the zoo. Well, the zoo is not a circus. I'm talking about a circus. It's a big deal. And then, and then Dex is like, Oh, you mean New York? And they're all like laughing about it. But even later he's like, that is the first chimp that has been born in a circus. It's a huge deal. I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's like the first man to water ski on the Atlantic. Like, it's like, he's kind of going all this stuff and it, it's just, he's so, I love Maltabon. I love watching yeah. Maltabon. obviously. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and then he just shows up and he just, he just looks the part. Like, yeah. it's like, at, at, honestly, like at that point, the character's name really should just be Ricardo Montalbán. Oh, like even his first appearance when like you, you cut to like the, um, the little circus, like, like, car and he comes out with Dixon's like so you're telling me that you want me to take these fugitives and and protect them in my circus and, and these these ape these apes and my answer would be yes like I'm very eager to like he, he kind of does the whole thing where he fakes out being mad about it and being like absolutely not and he's like of course I will because I love these apes they're amazing I love the world like he just has that vibe to him and again just a like I love the little bits like this where like you can tell he's beloved in the circus because he's walking with Dixon and he waves to all his like little circus freaks, like in all the performers. And they're like, Hey, yeah. Ricardo, <laughs> like, Hey. And, and he's like, yeah, like I love the circus. Like that's his character. And it's so good. It's really just nice to see him in here. Um, but also, even, sorry, go ahead. But, it, but I was going to say like, even him, like how much he genuinely takes to Zira, like, and just how much he cares for her and cares for Cornelius. Like, they showcase that very much throughout his scenes and it's just, it makes him a, a instantly a likable character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was saying because we're also at this part of the movie. It, it is also kind of funny that like you know the baby is actually just a real chimp. Yes. You, you know. You know what I mean. I mean, it's like it, honestly, after seeing the gorilla earlier, it's better than a baby in a chimp costume. Yeah, I'm just it, saying it, that. It, it's just. <laughs> It is funny because it's like we're just running the gambit with like different like types of like, you know, like how we showcase the apes. Yeah. Like one is in a really bad uh, costume. The others are, are classic apes and the other one's like an actual little tiny ape. Yeah. Which is funny because I'm like, oh, I guess all like so do they just grow up into looking like like, you know, human apes like. Pretty much. Have, yeah. But they look like regular apes when they're babies. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was funny. That just stood out to me. For sure. So this is where we get the other scene I was about to talk about with Haslin, which really gets into, again, one little bit of line read that really gets into who his character is. Is So there's been this manhunt, this ape hunt for these apes, and they can't find them anywhere. They've escaped the pavilion. They've escaped the camp. They've... um you know, kill this orderly or prepared to have done so. So they're nowhere to be seen. And then one of the guys is to Haslin like, oh, but we'll find him sooner rather than later. And then Haslin goes on this little mini rant. It's like, later is what I'm worried about. Later, we're going to deal with pollution. Later, we're going to deal with the population explosion. Later, we're going to deal with these nuclear weapons. Doesn't anybody care? Like, and that's his character. His character is he sees a world that is destroying itself. And he has this belief that you are able to change the future. If you make the right decisions, the car will careen off. You will keep going forward. So his whole bit is like, we have already have all these issues that is going to lead to our destruction one way or another. And we're all putting them off to later. We need to do something now. And again, it's like that nice little, like, it's a good way to showcase the villain does have an honest view he's just going about it in the wrong way. And then again, the whole, what ends up happening kind of showcases that maybe if he hadn't gone on this path of destruction, that things would have turned out better, but eventually like Dixon is kind of forced to reveal that zero was about seven to 10 days away from, from birth. And that makes Haslin realize that they have, they can't go far because she's close to labor. So check all the circuses, check all the uh, zoos, and that kind of forces their hand that originally the plan was for Cornelius and Zira and her child, which they, which they named Milo after Dr. Milo. Uh, they, they eventually are going to escape with the, the circus to Florida and kind of live in the Everglades and kind of live on their own. And again, I love multiple. It's like, oh, we, it was, we were so close. You would have made it to Florida. I would have let you go in the Everglades and oh, you would have loved it. You would have, you would have just loved it. Um, and, uh, you know, again, another religious overtone. Eventually, they're going to sort of escape and hide and see if they can kind of get away for a little bit. And uh, they give uh, Ricardo Montalban gives the child a little cross of the St. Francis of Assisi and kind of a little bit of religious overtones. Um, Zira has also been trying to kind of, you know, practice her mama, you know, her, her mothering with the other chimp's child. Um and request that they have one last sort of I want to spend one more time with this with this kind of primitive chimp and her child, uh, which kind of will lead us into what the twist ending of this movie is. Uh, but eventually they are on the run. They get dropped off uh, and they are running through kind of these docks um, again. Little, little nice bit where they. Uh, they have a little moment to reflect where they're on top of like the hill looking over Los Angeles and they're like, look, the stars in the sky, aren't they beautiful? 
yeah, from down here and kind of like reflecting, like, look at this crazy journey we've been on. We were in this, we were in space. Now we're over here. We're on the run. We still love each other. Um, they hide out in the docks. And again, another little bit line of where Zira is sort of like chastising the human society and how much she hates them. And, and, and Cornelius is, a, again, they're trying to like make a, make a little fire. And he's like, you really hate those humans, don't you? And then she's like, we've met hundreds of humans since I've been here. And I only trust three. And again, another just like nice little, little bit. And Cornelius is sort of reserved. It's like, it's the truth, mm-hmm. you know, that like, because he knows that like, hey, all the people that they were partying with earlier and having good times with and going to the boxing matches and going to Disneyland with, all of them would instantly turn on them now because they would trust Otto's word over, over theirs. Uh, the, the society would easily just kind of throw them away. And it kind of has because they are on, they're on the run now. And eventually it leads up to tragedy. Well, it all leads up to tragedy. As it does. As... Continue. <laughs> um, it, it essentially. Pause for dramatic effect. <laughs> yeah. It's a, the tragedy is that, um, Haslin finds them eventually and uh, basically shoots Zira and her baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, Cornelius was given a gun by Dixon earlier because he said, like, well, they are going to kill us if they see us. So let us sort of like not give them the pleasure. Let us be able to kill ourselves. Um, Haslin is ruthless with his baby, by the way. He literally just shoots it like three or four times in cold blood and everybody's just looking on horrified even the other like cops and stuff They're like dude what are you doing you're killing a child um and zero is kind of shot she's struggling to survive uh cornelius shoots aslan and kills him and is shot down by a sniper falls to his death and zira crawls over to him dies with uh her arms around her husband the two of them meeting their tragic end and it's well done. Except. Oh, the, wait. Hold the, on. The twist Just of the. You thought the story was over. The twist of the ending is that uh, when uh, Zira went to meet with the other, the primitive chimp, she actually switched babies because she suspected that they wouldn't make it. So little Milo speaking his first words over at Ricardo Montalban Circus, um, saying mama over and over again. We cut the black. The words of Mama ring on, and we know the plan of the apes is on. And then, and then, and again, it goes back to what I was just speaking about a little bit earlier. Is sort of it's that time travel trope type of thing where like Haslin was so convinced that what he was doing was going to put humanity back on the right path, but it's his actions and his obsession with with what he's done and sort of destroying these apes that literally keeps the future on the right path. So, yeah, this is kind of what, so are we kind of now in, like, time paradox, like, territory where it's, like, this is what causes the planet of the apes or, like, you know. Like, Pretty much, least, yes. Like, smart apes and, like, okay, all right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we're kind of in the, we're kind of in that realm where it's, like, faded destiny and everything like that, we're, which is another little bit uh, earlier from Maltabon, which is, um He's he's another person that's very accepting that the apes will one day dominate the planet. And his whole bit is like, as opposed to Haslin's whole bit, right, is like he believes in the branches of time. He believes in many possible futures. 
and that destiny can be altered and that human destiny, the destiny of humanity can be altered to survive. Whereas the, the circus owner, Ricardo Montalban, is essentially said, no, if the, it is the destiny of the apes to rule this planet, there is no changing that. Destiny will come. And Haslin is foolish to try to change that destiny. And the fact that Haslin was trying to change that destiny is what actually makes that destiny happen. Because if he would have just let the apes live as a part of normal society, there could have been nice peace and everything would have been happy. But the fact that like now we're going to get to this point where the apes are going to be taken into slavery and all that stuff that was said by Cornelius earlier in the movie, the apes will get into slavery and they will eventually rebel. They will overtake the humans and that will eventually lead to destruction of the human society. That's all that's all fate. It's all destiny and a fate and destiny thing, obviously very obvious for a time travel movie. But I thought to me, it's just like, again, just the thematics of it and sort of the different views on it and how it was portrayed and said just were gangbusters for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it is funny, the subtle uh, use of time travel, because it really is. It's a time travel story, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, like it's like that, that's what well. And, in in all in all aspects, the original movie is a time travel story, right. and that this movie is a time travel story, and time travel plays a big part in in these films. It's a it's a huge part of what the science fiction aspect of these films are. Yeah, I think that kind of just thinking about the movie as a whole, I'm starting to kind of like really understand and grasp why. Planet of the Apes became such like a formative or, you know, a a franchise of note for like, you know, a, a generation prior. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. like there was always like kind of like you always to me, I always just think about like that one movie. It was never kind of like a like a franchise. And, you know, even kind of like with the new ones, it was always kind of weird to call it a franchise. But this is like a series that, you know, it had a toy line. Like, you yeah. know, the, like, like there is a generation of people where it was kind of like a fun kind of sci-fi franchise. Yeah, well, there's there's going to be an animated series in a couple years out of this. So, you know, now three movies into the old ones, I, I'm, I'm starting to see why. Like, it's a very, it's a very solid... Um, kind of uh and it's a very solid sci-fi franchise that definitely stands out and how it's like going about doing different things within only a few movies like this isn't like a series where it's it was stagnant for two or three movies and then they flipped the switch like to me when i watched like the new the newer ones i was like oh they're really like switching it up but like the these movies were switching it up every single movie yeah it's been so far with just these three it's been very fascinating to see this is a very in many ways different franchise than we've looked at in any of the other kind of franchises that we've we've seen in just the in terms of the tone and the style and sort of what the movies are and i've been very i'm falling in love with it i'm falling in love with these original films and i'm very much looking forward to the ups and the downs of the next two um i'm very much looking forward to like, again, I'm very similar to you. I was someone who we talked about it in that first episode for Planet of the Apes. I was I'm a huge fan of that first film. It's one of my favorite movies. I could watch that any day. And I'd always been interested in checking these out, but I had never just gotten the opportunity. It was just one of those things that had always eluded me. And now that we're doing this again, this is one of the reasons I love doing this show is to kind of re look at these and kind of take in like, no, these are 
unique and awesome in their own way. And when I do my, you know, I do my end of the year, like movies, favorite movies I saw from this year, not from this year, this is going to be among them for sure. Cause I really just dug, I really just dug this movie. And this is a movie now I definitely want to own. I want to get the copy and, and I might as well, like I'm thinking of seeking out one of those, you know, sets probably of just DVDs. I don't know if any of these are on Blu-ray, but I, I would love to own these movies. Cause I think this is, this is one just like the original, like, yeah, I'll always go to the original first. But I really would rewatch this. I really would. And I really would take it in and I really would enjoy it again. And I want I want more people to see it. I really think that this is a really good entry and a really good movie on its own. Right. Yeah, I, I 100 percent agree. Yeah. And and the people agreed. The people agreed because uh, this movie was very successful at the box office. It was another hit for uh, Fox on a two million dollar budget. It made a total of twelve point three million uh, worldwide, which was a big, big thing for them. Uh, and uh, was once again number one at the box office its opening weekend um, with uh, just under four million, I believe, something of that nature. Um, and this movie was well-reviewed at its time. Uh, about 80% of audience uh, critics liked it. There were its detractors who still felt it wasn't up to snuff of that original Planet of the Apes films. Uh, but this one was, well, much better reviewed than Beneath the Planet of the Apes. And over the years, among especially the Planet of the Apes diehards, but as, uh, also among film fans, this is noted as the best of the sequels of that original Planet of the Apes movie. And a lot of people do find that this film stands on its own right. Lots of praise for the performances of Roddy and Kim Hunter and a lot of performances for the th- uh, a lot of praise for the thematics of the movie especially the the more religious overtones and it's talk of fate uh you know a talk of fate changing destiny and all that sort of stuff it, it, it's among a fan favorite in the planet of the apes um ca- uh fan fandom it it, it, it remains sort of uh, a sizable entry of that original planet of the apes series and i consider me one of those people and also has a nice poster where it has the uh family portrait of the of the group that's a nice yeah. poster i do it is interesting how the poster kind of like points out like the milo of the of it all yeah where that like you know it, it becomes an important part of the movie but it's like really not the movie you know what yes I mean? so I, yeah I, I do think it's interesting old movie posters are always like super interesting. old movie posters and trailers are not afraid like to spoil parts of the movie oh yeah no like, like I, I always go back to like the old like singing in the rain trailer that they used to play it at the great movie ride when it was at Disney world, but you can still find it online. But basically like it really showcases like, Hey guys, this is what the whole movie is. Um, And they show you like the last bit of the trailer is like the last shot of the movie or one of those things were like, was intended to be the last shot of the movie, but maybe it wasn't, I forget what it was, but it basically was like, you know, Hey, these guys are going to the, the, the Gene Kelly and Debbie O'Connor, they're going to, they're going to, uh, Debbie Reynolds are going to get together at the end. There's going to be a lot of song and dancing. Here's basically bits of all the songs and all the dances. Come see the movie. It's a good time. Now we're in a culture where it's just like you show a little bit of a trailer. You're like, oh, spoilers. Right, right. I can't right. watch the trailer anymore because that will spoil the movie for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. What are you going to do? Yeah, man. Just listen. I'm fine with spoilers now. <laughs> I'll still enjoy it. I've been spoiled on so many movies of history. I watch them. 
I still enjoy them. I kind of knew what was going on in this one. I've researched these movies before. I still enjoyed it. I knew what was going on. I don't need spoilers ruining everything for me. Spoil me all you want. <laughs> Anyways, that's my rant for the end of this episode. Welcome to your TED Talk. All right, let's let come on. Let's wrap this up. All right, next time when we talk about Planet of the Apes, we're going to continue on into the the rise of the apes and the fall of man. It's going to be Conquest of the Planet of the Apes coming up next uh, on the timeline. And uh, when we come back on the oh, mic, speaking, it'll... speaking of that, look at this poster. Jeez. Oh, oh, the Conquest a poster? All new, the Revolt of the Apes, the most awesome spectacle in the... Oh, yeah, that's... In the, anim... in the, in the annals of science fiction, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. It's a crazy poster. That would not be a bad poster to hang up, actually. Yeah, we are uh, in for a treat, folks. Uh, but next time we are on the mic, we are also in for a treat because we're returning to the Die Hard franchise. And uh, we are going to be heading into the third Die Hard movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, again, I've been doing some pre-research on this. This, that, you know, this one was a little bit light, you know, on the, on the production history. Not so with the next one. Die Hard with a Vengeance has a really fun production history. I am very excited to talk about it on mic. And it was also a very fun movie. I'm excited to talk about it on mic. Awesome. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap it up for another Bondzilla Presents. Thank you again for listening. You can always follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash Bondzilla007, uh, gmail.com at Bondzilla double, Bondzilla.com. You can do it. You got it. Bondzilla at... You, uh, bon- come on, you can do it. Bonzilla007 at gmail.com. Like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave us a rating and review. I did it. We don't have a website. But if it were, it would be Bonzilla.com. But don't go there. We don't own it. We don't know what you'll find. Yep. All right, everybody. We will uh, talk to you later. Um... Maybe we'll get some Planet of the Apes news at D23 with the Fox stuff. <laughs> Who knows anymore? But we will uh, we will talk to you soon. We'll be back for Die Hard 3. Take care, everybody. Does the other one talk? Only when she lets me.